As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on The Gaming Hipster, it's the 30th anniversary of the Game Boy. everyone, this is Neil from RavingHipster.com. I am doing a new gaming podcast called The Gaming Hipster. It'll be hosted here on the website and eventually at GeekCastRadio.com as well. Now, what this podcast is going to be, it'll be primarily a nostalgia show. It'll be specifically about my experiences with games, both growing up with them and being an adult. Now, what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do a, a collector type show. I'm not going to be a gaming historian. I just want to keep this on a very personal level. Now, does that mean I won't talk about PC gaming or I won't talk about, you know, European consoles like the ZX Spectrum or the Amiga? Uh, not necessarily. I'll, I'll have guests on the show from time to time and they can talk about their experiences and that way you won't just get one perspective. But I don't want to put on this pretense like I'm some sort of gaming expert. Because I'm not, and I don't think I should cover games that I know nothing about. That doesn't make sense to me. So I don't want the show to be like that. It's just going to be a very personal exploration through gaming. Today, it's the Game Boy. Now, where where do my experiences start with the Game Boy? Well, the Game Boy came out in 1989, April of that year, and uh, my birthday was a few months later, and I got the Game Boy for my birthday, and I got a handful of games. I got, uh, well, of course, Tetris came with it, and then there was Alleyway, which was a breakout clone. There was Super Mario Land, which I really enjoyed, and then there was uh, Kix. Was, uh, Kix was another... Uh, I believe it was an Atari arcade game that got ported to the Game Boy. It was a really nice version of the game. 
And then I got Castlevania The Adventure, which was my first experience with the Castlevania franchise, sadly, and uh, really tainted my uh, my opinion of the series for some time until I finally got to play a proper one. Now, the killer app of the Game Boy at launch was, of course, Tetris. And it almost wasn't. Tetris was under license to Atari through Mirrorsoft. They had the rights to the PC and the arcade, but not the console and certainly not handhelds. So under cover of night, Hank Rogers of Bulletproof Software, representing also Nintendo, traveled to license the game from Elorg, the Soviet-run game licensing bureau, uh, simultaneously while Atari was trying to do the same thing. Um, as it turns out, if things had gone slightly differently, if Rogers had been there a day later, the pack-in game for the Game Boy would have been something else. That's that's wild to think about. Now, Tetris was the first game of its kind, the falling block puzzle, which would eventually give us games like Dr. Mario and Columns, Puyo Puyo, and Puzzle League, to name a few. It remains my opinion that Tetris was the game, the game, that bridged the gap from kids to adults in the video game market. Video games were considered toys by adults, but Tetris made it okay for adults to like video games. Unfortunately, it didn't make our parents any less boomerish, just like the old days when Atari or Nintendo were synonyms for video games. Tetris became the name of the console whenever my mother wanted to play the Game Boy. She'd be like, where's Tetris? And she meant the handheld. My Game Boy actually broke after a while. The AC input cracked, and unless I wanted to use my allowance money to buy batteries, which I didn't, uh, I would rather, you know, just stick to a wall outlet. Uh, so my birthday came up again, and my mother goes, hey, how about a new Game Boy? And I was like, nah, I'm good. I was playing like Super Mario World or whatever was out at the time. Little did I know that she had already bought it. And when I opened the package that year, my mother immediately wanted to borrow it. I still wonder to this day if that gift was actually for me. gaming was in my family i was the only gamer up to a certain point and then when the game boy came out suddenly everyone in my family was playing the damn thing and i had a hard time getting the system to myself but when i did get my turn to play my game boy i would always gravitate toward super mario land because i had always been quite the mario guy always been a mario fan but this game super mario land is very very weird as far as mario games go while it looks like Mario, it feels very weird. There's something intangible about the way Mario controls in that game that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, something about the momentum or, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's off. But it's a game that I enjoyed nonetheless. Mario was the game franchise that taught me to be a twitchy player. I'm always kind of herky-jerky with my controls. I'm always uh, making little little tiny taps to kind of correct jumps and, you know, land with pixel precision on a, on a, on a ledge, you know. Uh, it's just Mario has a particular feel to it. And when you have a game like Super Mario Land that is slightly 
off, it it kind of throws you. It it's a game I definitely enjoy the game, but it is kind of a weird game. I do I have to say I I do enjoy it more than the sequel. I know that's kind of heresy. Everybody loves Super Mario Land 2 of uh, 6 golden coins because it is the evolution of uh it is kind of a step up from Super Mario Land. It's a much bigger game. Um the sprites are much bigger. The it's there's more detail. It's a much prettier looking looking game, but uh I don't know. I just didn't like it. It's uh it's a game I've played through a few times. It you know, I've given it I've given it a bit more I get a bit more credit in recent years. I played it played it recently and I was like, okay, I, I guess I get it. But uh I don't know, it's it's just not it's just not the same game that uh I, I, I really like Super Mario Land one better. And I again it's kind of an intangible thing. I can't really explain why other than, you know, maybe maybe Mario's a little too big on the screen. It's a it's a much bigger sprite, so uh he takes up more screen real estate, so you know, it kind of feels cramped when you're playing Super Mario Land two. And the jumps are really floaty. I mean, I talked about how weird the jumps felt in Super Mario Land 1. Super Mario Land 2 just feels really... Uh, it's like you're jumping through molasses. It's like you're... It's just a little too... Uh, a little too floaty for my taste, I guess. Um, but Game Boy, it seemed, went through some growing pains in the uh, in the early days. I think what it was is that a lot of the game franchises that were continuing from the NES were not necessarily being made by the people who had made the games prior. So with Super Mario Land 1 and 2, it wasn't the Mario team. It was uh, it was another division of Nintendo. I think it was Gunpei's team that did it. And uh, there are other examples of that, like the, the Mega Man games were just... The, the first one's too hard, and the second one is... Uh, I, I don't know... If, I don't know if I would describe the second Mega Man game as any easier, but it, it you know it just doesn't feel like a Mega Man game. It looks like one, it sounds like one, but it just isn't. Um, the the Ninja Turtles game I had oh I had one of the Ninja Turtles games uh, really early on, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't for my birthday. I think I got it later. Like we went to uh, a department store, and my father just decided uh, you know I'll get you a Game Boy game. So we got fall of the foot clan and uh i beat it on the way home <laughs> and by the way that's with that awful pea green game boy screen that has a bad refresh rate and it's really blurry and you have to hold it up to the light a certain way otherwise you can't even see what the hell is going on and fall of the foot clan is so goddamn easy that i just i beat it as we were pulling into the driveway on the first try my father was like god damn it and I'm like, no, no, Dad, trust me, I'm going to play the shit out of this game. This game's awesome. I love Fall of the Foot Clan. I, I play it. I play it to this day. I still pop that cartridge in, and I'll uh, I'll whip through it really easily. But uh, you know, that's that's an example of a game that, uh, while I while I think it's a good game, it it's nothing like the uh, the arcade brawlers that that the TMNT franchise is known for. So it's not like the arcade game or you know Turtles in Time or anything like that. Um, the second Turtles game, I I think I had for like a month, and I found some way to get rid of it. I think I traded it with somebody. I didn't like that game. That that game is weird. I, I have a real problem with that game actually because I've noticed that a lot of uh, game reviewers tend to like that game for some reason, and I don't know why. Because that game it controls really stiffly, and the graphics are awful. the The characters look like they have a telephone pull up their ass. They're always like. 
they're all, they're always like standing perfectly straight. And when they attack with their weapons, it's like they have T-Rex arms. They're, the weapons barely extend at all from their bodies. And it, it just, it looks terrible. It feels terrible when you play and I don't get it. But, you know, every review I've seen of it seems to be positive for some reason. And, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, Neil just can't let it go. I don't understand why people like this game. You know, that's, uh, I really do think that the Game Boy may not have been a top priority to uh, game developers at the time. It, it would be quite a while before we would really get something to sink our teeth into on the Game Boy itself. In fact, the system was kind of, uh, it was kind of seen as the NES's little brother for a while. It was, you know, we got kind of junior versions of NES games and uh, they started out as like, as like weird adaptations and then eventually we got we got just normal ports you know like there was bionic commando tecmo ball ducktales uh double dragon a few others and there'd be slight differences but they would basically be the same game just on a smaller screen and a much tighter resolution same problem with super mario land 2 which is that the characters they would just use the same graphics as on on the nes game so you know, it'd just be much more cramped, and uh, you couldn't you couldn't see as far ahead of the character as you would on the normal console. So, you know, I thought that was kind of a waste to just port NES games to the system. It was another another case where maybe the Game Boy wasn't as prioritized as it should have been. But uh, I think it it was a combination of factors, like you know, the screen was kind of bad, and uh, the 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 ROM size limitations probably made it so that you couldn't like really you couldn't really experiment with the with the system for at least a little while. It wouldn't be until well after the uh the Super Nintendo came out that we would really start seeing good things on Game Boy. And one of the first examples of that was Metroid Two, which uh <laughs> again has the has the screen resolution problem of the character being too big. But uh Having replayed that game recently, um, because somebody did a color hack of it, so I played the the new fan-made Game Boy Color version, um, I really rediscovered what I enjoyed about the game initially because, uh, well, I had gotten the game, uh, I believe, in 92 when it came out, and I played through the damn thing, even on that dark, dingy, blurry screen. I, I enjoyed it enough to just power through that game and enjoy every minute of it. I, it's kind of seen as the black sheep of the series, but, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta give it to Metroid too, that even though it, it's probably technically the worst, you know, finger quotes, the worst game in the main Metroid series, it's still, it's still a really good game. You know, it's just kind of, it hasn't quite aged that well. And, uh, I think with the, with the rest of the, the Metroid series, being up to a certain standard where, you know, like after Super Nintendo, there was Metroid Fusion and then uh, Zero Mission, which all, it all brought them up to like 16-bit standards. And then you had like Metroid 2, which was like this muddy mess on on a uh, on a pea green colored screen. We definitely were in need of a remake for some time and it wouldn't be until, you know, you know just like, a, like last year that we'd finally get one. But uh, even so, I don't think that the Game Boy really, truly grew up until Zelda arrived. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I remember seeing that that Nintendo Power where they announced it, and I was like, "Holy shit! How are you going to put a Zelda game on the Game Boy? There's never been a there's never been a Game Boy game that huge, as huge as a Zelda game. You know, it was there's never been anything on the Game Boy. Even the closest would be would be Metroid Two, of course, but there's never been anything remotely that size uh, released ever before on the console." So I'm like, how how the hell are they going to do this? Is this going to be, is this even going to be like half as good as the uh, the original NES game, or is it even going to approach the uh, the Super Nintendo game? I, there's no way it's going to surpass the Super Nintendo Nintendo game. Like nothing is better than a Link to the Past. Well, I'll have you know, dear listener, that uh, I I think that Link's Awakening. May actually be my favorite Zelda game. I I love it that much, and I think it's because it went the extra it went the extra step of experimenting with with the uh, with the button assignments. Because before you had you had a uh, you had a weapon slot that assigned to one button, and then like the other button was always the sword. You could never unequip the sword. Well, now you can, and what that did is it opened up a lot of. Uh, possibilities for how you could mix and match weapons one of my one of the good examples would be uh using bombs and arrows at the same time and you would if you pressed both buttons at the same time you would shoot a bomb arrow which was which was fantastic and then you would have other goofy things like if you tried to use the pegasus boots with the shovel at the same time link would would uh, stick the shovel into the ground and would just like run perpetually in place and it was really funny but uh that game was so imaginative, and uh, I, I really loved the dungeons of that game. It was just so experimental and and kooky and fun. And uh, granted, it was still on the original Game Boy, and uh, I 
I would I, re- I would recommend that uh, if you're going to play the game, definitely pick up the Game Boy Color version. Of course, you're, if you're playing it on the on the 3DS, then that's the version you're going to get. And uh, that Game Boy Color port is amazing. And I know I know people dog on it for the for the new dungeon, how the the color dungeon is kind of lame and uh, you know puzzles aren't very difficult and you know whatever. Uh, if I had to criticize the Game Boy Color version for one thing, I think it would just be that. Uh, in some cases, it makes the lantern uh, superfluous because in the original black and white version, if you were in a darkened dungeon, uh, you literally couldn't see anything. It would just be like flat black everywhere. But in the Game Boy Color version, it just gradients all of the colors down. Well, you can still see <laughs> with the uh, you could still see without the lantern. So it kind of took away from the difficulty a little bit. But uh, otherwise, I thought it was, I, I think it is the the definitive version of the game, at least until the, the Switch port comes out. Even then, I think, I'll, I think I'll stick to the Game Boy Color port because uh, that's just the version that I like to play. I think, I, li- I like my big blocky sprites the way they are. I don't, I don't, I don't really need to see a, uh, a spit-polished version. I, I think it's just fine the way it was on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> Now, were there any hidden gems on the Game Boy? Uh, yes, absolutely. In fact, there were so many games on the Game Boy. The Game Boy uh, library is so large that I could not possibly begin to even delve into the hidden gems category. So I'll probably just leave it to you guys. Like, tell me what some of your uh, what some of your favorite hidden gems on the Game Boy. What these are would there be games that like uh, you know flew under the radar? It weren't really known at the time. Maybe they had like terrible box art or weren't adver- advertised very well. Just got a raw deal in the market, but uh, came to prominence later on. The one that always comes to my mind would be the uh, the Puzzle Boy series. And uh, if you if you don't know what it, what that is, it's like a Sokuban clone. It's like you know the the box pushing puzzle games. Uh, there were there were a ton of them, and a lot of them were actually on Game Boy. But uh, Puzzle Boy, uh, there were, I believe there were two of them on the Game Boy. Uh, one, of course, was Quirk, who you maybe some of you would know from know from the Power Team, which was a weird uh, B level uh, Captain N type uh, show, which uh, included all uh, acclaim licensed game characters for some reason. Um, Quirk was such a game, and Quirk, uh, Quirk unfortunately uh got saddled with the late 80s early 90s attitude he's got his sunglasses on uh the the box art does not really convey the the tone of the game at all uh, the the puzzle boy games are much cuter than what uh quirk would lead you to believe now as the game boy started to mature and the quality of games were rising exponentially there was the desire to play the games on on a television screen or at least from my perspective uh there was that desire and uh Nintendo answered that with the the Super Game Boy and with a with one of the more interesting uh ports to the Game Boy which was Donkey Kong now what's interesting about Donkey Kong is it wasn't just a straight port of the arcade game it kind of leads you to believe that it is but actually after the fourth stage it it goes on to become much more of a puzzle platformer, and there's 99 levels, and it's really fun. And uh, Donkey Kong 94 is one of my absolute favorite 
Game Boy games. Now, what was really cool about Game Boy Donkey Kong, or Donkey Kong 94 as I call it, what I thought was really cool about it was that uh, it was the first game of the Game Boy library that was chosen to push the Super Game Boy. It was the first time we got to see a Game Boy game in proper color uh, with what limitations the, the Super Game Boy actually had. Actually, let's talk about that. The Super Game Boy had a coloring system. It it didn't color by sprite. It colored by by screen region. It was kind of like uh, I guess a, I guess a good system to compare it to would probably be like the ZX Spectrum. You know, where if a sprite crosses a certain boundary, it'll adopt the palette of that boundary. So you didn't re- you really didn't have like independent sprites having their own palette. So uh, on Super Game Boy. You would the entire field would be like one set of four colors. It would just have like the four color palette, and that'd be it. So uh, there wasn't really a lot you could do with the Super Game Boy as far as bringing full color. Donkey Kong '94 would live on to be the best looking one, and it, it's fairly evident from that game that they tried their hardest to squeeze as much color into that game as they possibly could, and even then you could still see the uh, the limitations of the system. It wouldn't be until the Game Boy Color just a few years later when we finally got to see what a proper uh, what a proper color Game Boy game would look like. But uh, yeah, some of the games looked okay. I think the Picross games, you know, being puzzle games, the color limitations didn't matter. So they looked really nice. Um... The uh, the Pokemon games were able to take advantage of the Super Game Boy pretty well. Uh, another example would be like Kirby's Dream Land 2, which uh, probably had the most intense use of the Super Game Boy. Uh, doesn't I don't think it really looks as nice as uh, Donkey Kong 94, but uh, some people do prefer that. Uh, there was one really interesting case of uh, a Super Game Boy game actually having hidden content that would only come out if you if you actually plugged it into the Super Game Boy, and that would be, of all games, Space Invaders. And what you were able to do by plugging it into the Super Game Boy was you, you unlocked the Super Nintendo version of the game, which is, okay, I guess it is Space Invaders. It's a game from 1979. It's about as simplistic as you can get, but... Uh, I know it was something interesting that could be done with the system, but it was the only time it was ever done. And as I understand it, the only reason why they were able to do that was because there had already been a version of Space Invaders released on the Game Boy in Japan, and there was also a Super Nintendo version of the game coming out. So when it was ported to America, they decided to combine the two into a single cartridge, and that's how we got that. That cartridge, that... that uh, dual system cartridge that we got was not released in Japan. And uh, eventually we got the the lone Super Nintendo version of the game uh, on the console anyway. But uh, that was that was interesting, but uh, it was never done again. And I kind of understand why it'd be kind of a kind of a costly measure to make a game that you couldn't possibly possibly play unless you had both the console and this peripheral that uh, not a lot of people actually had. So uh, there wasn't really any incentive to do anything like that ever again. But, uh, you know, it was kind of a a cool thing to do, I guess. But this is where 
I guess we're up to 90, 1994, 1995. This is where the Game Boy kind of hit a downward trend with me. And I think it was kind of on its way out with uh, the general public at that time as well. Because uh, Game Boy had been on the market for six, seven years by this point, And uh, people were, were uh, ready to move on. The the uh, 32-bit generation was coming out. The Saturn, the PlayStation, the 3DO. uh N64 was on the way, and uh, it looked like Game Boy was going to be phased out for a while, and they were working on the successor, which would eventually, they were, they were trying to create, as I understand it, what would eventually become the, the Game Boy Advance, but uh, for one reason or another, they canceled the project, and they had to, uh, they had to kind of slapdash throw something together, which would ultimately become, uh, become the Game Boy Color. But uh, leading up to that was the explosion of Pokemon. Now, I was not a Pokemon player. I don't really care for Pokemon. It's a little archaic for my tastes. I'm not really a fan of 8-bit style RPGs. And uh, plus, it, it, it I think it kind of appeals to the ADHD, the, the collect them all uh, <laughs> uh, catchphrase that came with that game. I was, uh, my response to that was uh, no. So, uh Game Boy, for a while after the Super Game Boy came out, was just, it, it was kind of in the periphery, and I I was ready to let it go until the Game Boy Color came out, and I fell in love with it all over again. Now, with Game Boy Color came a new version of Tetris, Tetris DX, which is uh, pretty close to the original Game Boy Tetris, but it's just a little bit, you know, you can kind of, there's a, there's an intangible difference that I can't quite put my finger on, but it's not quite the same. It's not, not as enjoyable as that original game. So as much as I love Tetris DX, as much as I love playing Tetris in color, um, that original cartridge is still, it's still my jam. Plus... Tetris DX had the misfortune of being a victim of new console syndrome, where it was just, they were just a little too enthusiastic to show off the new color feature. So every time you would get 10 lines of Tetris, the background color would change. And uh, it was not very appealing to the eyes, I'll have to say. It was uh, kind of annoying, in fact. And that's another reason why Tetris DX, nice to have Tetris in color, but I'll take the original. Funnily enough, uh, in spite of the upgrade that came with the Game Boy Color, some of the best games on that were throwbacks to the, to the Game & Watch series. The, the, uh, the Game & Watch gallery games are among my favorite on the console. And I, I, I don't, I don't know. There's something just very pleasing about the simplicity of those old games. And, uh, I liked what they did with games like Manhole or the, the Game & Watch Donkey Kong. How they they just spruced them up enough and made something very special out of uh, these old these old like pick up and play games from from a much different era. Now, one thing I find interesting about the way people think of the the Game Boy Color is that they kind of look at it as as like an NES Junior. It's like a little NES, and I don't 
I don't know. I don't really think of it that way. I I think of it more as a Game Boy. And I I know that sounds a little pedantic, but uh, NES has its own has its own quirks. It has its own personality, and I don't get that personality in the Game Boy Color. I think Game Boy Color is its own thing. It's certainly a much more powerful system. It's probably more akin to like a Master System, actually, if you're going to compare it to uh, to a bigger console like that, or uh, or another. It, I would I would compare it directly to like the 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 Sega Game Gear. In some ways, it's almost indistinguishable from the Game Gear, aside from being a lot less a uh, lot less shrill. But it, as far as I'm concerned, it it looks and sounds like a Game Boy. It feels like a Game Boy. I don't like to compare it to the NES at all. I think it it is its own thing. Although, hilariously enough, it did get its own version of Super Mario Brothers, essentially bringing everything full circle now, where we started with a uh, sort of a weird variant of Mario that was an echo of that original game, and now that original game has come to Game Boy. And that was that was a real trip. I never thought I would see the original Super Mario Brothers on the Game Boy. And from there, I I really had hoped that the Game Boy Color would just move onward and upward and... Uh, surpassed the original Game Boy. I thought we were going to have Game Boy well into the new millennium, and uh, sadly it just wasn't to be because eventually the Game Boy Advance project caught up with it, and uh, the Game Boy Color's short shelf life of, what, three years? It was until Game Boy Game Boy Advance came out. Ridiculously short, and uh, there were, of course, a few games that came out in the latter generation. Uh, there was, like, the... Mario Tennis and Mario Golf, of course, there was uh, The Legend of Zelda Oracle games, which are, my God, those are masterpieces. And the if any games are must-own on the Game Boy Color, it's Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons on uh, Game Boy Color. Fantastic Zelda games, perfect follow-ups to, uh, to Link's Awakening. Though, that trilogy of games, uh, just fantastic. Um, Love Zelda on the Game Boy. All of them. All of them are fantastic. But uh, Game Boy Color uh, just wasn't uh, wasn't around long enough. Uh, it definitely had a lot of good games in its uh, its short life. Uh, you had games on the Game Boy Color like uh, Bionic Commando Elite Forces. You had a, a Metal Gear Solid game uh, known in some regions as Metal Gear Ghost Babble. You know, you get the the GB Game Boy in there. You had the Harvest Moon games. You had uh, you had Dragon's War. You had Dragon Warrior one, two, and three on the console. Dragon Warrior three. Oh my God, that game is huge. It was a uh, it's an adaptation of the Super Famicom version. Uh, only came out in Japan, but we got it on the Game Boy Color here in America. And uh, I do believe it is the largest ever original eight bit style Game Boy game ever made you had other ones like uh shantae uh shantae made by way forward way forward uh kind of rose to prominence on the game boy color uh, they weren't really known before that but they made a lot of weird games they made uh wendy every which way with which was uh which was a game based on some uh some character from casper the friendly ghost if anyone even remembers what that is uh, they made a sabrina they made two sabrina the teenage witch games on the game boy color um really uh really fantastic developer that uh that got to be known for making really slick platform games started out on the Game Boy Color. Of course you would know them from uh 
from more recent games like uh, A Boy and His Blob on the Wii and uh, other consoles. There's uh, an adaptation of DuckTales. They made DuckTales Remastered. Um, just all sorts of neat shit. I love, I love WayForward. Um, but, uh, that's about it for the Game Boy Color, uh, unfortunately. Uh, was not on the, uh, was not on the market for nearly as long as it should have. I think the Game Boy Advance just kind of, uh, just kind of beat it out of the market. But I think the Game Boy Advance just came came around too soon. Now, I love the Game Boy Advance, but uh, that's that's where our story will have to stop for now. I think the Game Boy Advance is special enough that it kind of deserves its own show. So uh, we'll just have to pause right there for now. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, is there aftermarket life for the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color? Uh, yes. Yes, there is. There always is. Every old school console eventually comes back around and becomes a classic. And the Game Boy, Game Boy Color is no different. Now, there are some options to play Game Boy and Game Boy Color games on your PC uh, through uh, CD means, although you could uh, potentially rip your own games and make your own ROM images and play play them completely legally but i'm pretty sure that uh not everyone plays by those rules and you're probably uh you you if you're playing your game boy games on pc i'm guessing like uh there's a more than 50% chance that you've gone the legally gray route we'll just say but there are options out there for playing game boy and game boy color games on a modern pc and the two that i know of for certain are vba which is the uh the Game Boy Advance emulator, which also plays Game Boy and Game Boy Color. But the one I prefer is actually BGB, which is a 
super, super accurate Game Boy and Game Boy Color emulator. It also emulates Super Game Boy to a certain extent. It can't can't really access the uh, the Super Nintendo sound chip because it doesn't emulate that. So games like uh, games like Animaniacs are gonna those games are gonna be a lot more disappointing to play on BGB. But what I really like about BGB is that you can actually make your own uh, Super Game Boy style uh, screen borders because the way the Super Game Boy worked is that I couldn't zoom in on the games without distorting the graphics. So you would get custom borders on all the games that were made specifically for the Super Game Boy. You know, games like Donkey Kong had like an arcade cabinet border around the screen. It was all sorts of like little artistic flourishes to games that came out after 1994. Well, now you can make your own. So I have my own personal library of uh, Game Boy uh, borders for my games now. Some I simply borrowed from from Extant Games and some I, uh, being a graphic artist, I made myself. I made one for Metroid 2, of course. I made uh, <laughs> I made a Game Gear border for the Game Boy for some reason. I just thought that was hilarious to do. I'll, I'll I'll actually post some screenshots of some of the custom borders that I made. They're they're really nice, really really fun way to uh, re-experience the Game Boy. I I cannot recommend uh, BGB enough. Another reason I like this emulator is that it has a full screen option. So you it has like a perfect integer scale. You can blow it up on your screen, make it full screen. It looks really nice. What's really nice about using an emulator is that now you can play games that were not that were not initially available to you here in America. So now you can play games like the Konami Classics Collections. There's like four of them, and each one of them have like five games on them. You can play the the Castlevania games. Finally, you can play uh, Castlevania 2 in color. They're Game Boy Color conversions. Uh, you can play uh, the two Nemesis games, which was... Uh, the, they were the Game Boy versions of Gradius. You could play uh, Operation C, which is the Contra game that came out on... Uh, on Game Boy, and now they're all in color. They're all game. They're all co- Game Boy color conversions. Although uh, the colors are unfortunately very garish. There are also some really nice, nice ROM hacks out there. Uh, the two that I recommend the most would be the color versions of Metroid Two and Super Mario Land Two. Both have gotten a significant upgrade to color, and they look fantastic. Uh, I think they both look better than uh, retail releases. In fact, they look really, they look really spot on professional. I really like the, uh, the, the conversions of both of them. And, and, uh, in addition to that, with Super Mario Land 2, they added the option to play as Luigi, which was not in the game at all. And of course, you have English translations of, uh, of Japanese games such as, uh, for Frog the Bell Tolls, which is the precursor to the Zelda games on Game Boy. You have some visual novels like uh, like the Detective Conan games. There's a couple that are in English now where you uh, you play as the anime character Conan Edogawa and you solve murder mysteries. And uh, there's God Medicine. There, God Medicine is like a, a Game Boy RPG that uh, that got a late uh, Super Game Boy variant. And the Super Game Boy variant has a fan translation, and it's really nice. It's kind of a parody RPG. It looks kind of fun. A little archaic, but uh, the game has a sense of humor to it. So, uh, you know, there are options out there for people looking for a new uh, Game Boy experience. You can hop on romhacking.net and find, you know, translations of all sorts of games uh, for the Game Boy. Uh, ROM hacks for the Game Boy games, converting them to color. Just, you know, tons of stuff, tons of neat stuff to find. 
And of course, if you want to play, if you, if you want to go down the legal route, you can just, you can shop for games on the 3DS virtual console. You can play the Zelda games on there. You can play the Mario's. You can play all sorts of fun games, but, uh, but I think that's going to do it for Game Boy. Uh, thank you for listening to this inaugural edition of, uh, the Gaming Hipster. The next episode will be about PC gaming. I'll be bringing in Ben Carver. We'll talk about games made by uh, Sierra and uh, LucasArts and stuff like that. So uh, now to end the show, I have some audio clips of some of my podcasting friends who wanted to talk about some of their gaming experiences on the Game Boy. So we'll leave you with that. Uh, in future episodes of this podcast, I'll have uh, bonus material for the Patreon listeners. Uh, you know, after show segments, stuff cut out from the episode, uh, digressions, all sorts of fun things. Uh, this inaugural episode is going to be free to everyone. So, uh, there'll be no bonuses on this particular episode, but, uh, in future installments, there will be. So I'd like to thank you for listening and, uh, keep on gaming. This has been Neil of ravinghipster.com and decian.com. Good night. Hello everyone, TFG and Mike from the GeekCast Radio Network, punching in or punching out for a talk on the Nintendo Game Boy. The original Game Boy was the only one I had, and I didn't get it until my 13th birthday in 1993. Before that time, I actually got to use my Aunt Rose's Game Boy for a while. I actually kind of stole it at one point. I know. So wrong. Uh, what I love about the original Game Boy is three games more than any of the other ones. Tetris, obviously, Super Mario Land, and Super Mario Land 2. The Game Boy was just something you could do at any time, anywhere, battery-powered. As long as you bought rechargeable batteries, you were good to go. As long as you added one of those battery charge, portable battery charger things that you plug in. Um, obviously you can't do that on an airplane or a train or something like that, but, you know, who needs planes, trains, and automobiles? What I loved is just how immersed I got as a 11, 12, and 13-year-old playing just even Tetris. Because you're so focused on that next block. Uh, Super Mario Land was fun, it was interesting. Super Mario Land 2 gave me... I wouldn't say nightmares at first, but gave me trouble. And I love that they introduced a evil version of Mario in that. Good old Wario, gotta love him. The only other game I remember playing on the Game Boy Classic, or whatever you want to call it, just the regular Nintendo Game Boy, is Bugs Bunny and Crazy Castle, I believe? I just love the graphics on that game. I thought it was really, really cool and interesting and fun, and since I was a Looney Tunes kid... Who wouldn't want to play as Bugs Bunny? I never had the Game Boy Color or the Game Boy Advance or any of that stuff. I just preferred the big old brick Nintendo Game Boy with Tetris, with Super Mario Land, 
And I know I played some other games on there, but I can't think of what they are for the life of me. So that's my memories and thoughts with the Game Boy. As far as what I said a few moments ago about me actually stealing my Aunt Rose's Game Boy, I did do that at one point. Sadly, I had no idea that my cousin Heather, her daughter, had gotten into a car accident at the point at that point in time and was in the hospital for seven to ten days or so. What had happened was I quote-unquote accidentally borrowed it for a weekend trip thing and just lied about whether I had it or not. I know, I was a horrible, horrible child. But anyway... Absolutely love the Game Boy. Keep up the great work on the new podcast, Neil. And I will catch you later. Unleash the Game Boy Geek in you and visit geekcastradio.com for all of your unleashing podcast needs. This is Mike the Birdman Dodd from ThisWeekInGeek.net and TerribleWarriors.com. And I've been asked by Neil himself to uh, talk a little bit about the Game Boy, uh, Nintendo's first portable system that saw huge success. Not those little game watch things. But anyway, uh, I remember getting this in the winter of 1989 or 90, one or the other. And I remember uh, I got two games with it. I got the pack-in of Tetris, of course, and then I had uh, Super Mario Land. And I played my Game Boy a fair chunk, although my grandmother, my 70-year-old grandmother, played it a lot more than I did. And she was quite the accomplished Tetris master compared to me uh, by the end of it, where she could easily whip up to level, like, 16 or something. I was lucky to get to level 9 because it started moving so goddamn quick. But most of my memories with the uh, Nintendo Game Boy come specifically from the Pokemon series. Um, and I got two memories specifically associated with this. Uh, my friend Ryan and I were huge Pokemon fans, and we caught the original 150 Pokemon. And it wasn't until we found out after seeing the first Pokemon movie, there was actually 151, the mysterious Mew and this was in the early days of the internet, so everybody had theories on how you could catch Mew. He was under a truck in, like, Viridian City or some bullshit. But no, um, turns out you had to go to specialty kiosks at uh, certain Toys R Us's where they actually had Mew available for download, but you had to go into the store to do it. So um, me and Ryan uh, decided to pack into his car and gr- want to say we were in grade 11. At this point, he'd just gotten his, like, learner's permit up here in Canada. That's, like, his G2, so he could drive by himself. So he picks me up from school, and we drive, like, two and a half hours away to this uh, city called Newmarket. And we go to Toys R Us, and they have no idea what the hell we're talking about. We're like, that kiosk right there, do you want us to help you set it up? So we eventually got our Mews, and we're super happy, and we're like, yeah, we got Mew. We're going to kick everyone's ass at school. Um... We're in high school, so there aren't too many of us playing Pokemon at this point. 
Um, and playing with younger people would have just been, well, weird and creepy. Uh, so we didn't exactly, um, play too much outside of just playing against each other, but we got super competitive. And eventually we'd go to the Pokemon movies that were released fairly steadily in theaters and we kicked the crap out of people in line. But another Pokemon memory I have specifically involves me and my grade 12 English class, uh, Mr. Tombros. Um, I was playing with my red play it loud ketchup colored Game Boy. And I'm wandering through the Safari Zone in Pokemon, and I'm trying to catch one specific one named Tauros, which is a bull-type uh, Pokemon. And I'm playing for an hour or two a day for days in a row. For some reason, one is just not spawning. Eventually, one spawns in front of me, and I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm going to get you. So I start kicking the crap out of it. Eventually, I put it to sleep with either a sleep powder or something with either my Venusaur or Butterfree. I can't remember which Pokemon I used. But I'm whipping um, Ultra Balls at it and Great Balls, and it keeps breaking out. And I'm thinking, I can't let this thing escape. I've got to catch it. I've, this is the only goddamn chance I've got, and I'm going to take it. Uh, so eventually, I catch this stupid thing, and I stand up in the middle of the class, and I'm like, yes, I got you! And everyone in the class is looking at me, and my teacher, Mr. Tombros, is like, Mike, what, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I got it! The stupid Pokemon thing! He's like, oh, your Game Boy. Um, can you like not do that? And we had this, uh, agreement where as long as I sat in the back of the room, didn't make any noise, didn't bother anybody. And if I did the reading and passed the test, I could do whatever the hell I wanted. So, uh, yeah, that's my memorable, uh, adventures with the Game Boy, uh, or so I remember. So, uh, full disclosure, uh, I never owned a Game Boy. See, um, the thing is, uh, we didn't have that much money back when I was young. Um, one of the things that it didn't have going for it was the fact that here, the cartridge, uh, the cartridge, and the, well, the game that came packed in, uh, was just Tetris. And as you guys know, Tetris has been bootlegged a lot on LCD portable games like Tiger Electronics and stuff like that, and not even official ones. So you'd get very, very cheap portable Tetris fun around that only used like two AA batteries, while the Game Boy actually had this huge like at least four AA batteries to work. And the thing is, it didn't really make that much difference on the Tetris game. Because, uh, other than, of course, start screen and sound, the the graphics themselves weren't that great. The Game Boy screen was an LCD screen, and not even exactly a good one. It was, like, really, really pale green with really, really pale gray. Uh, it was a big contrast with 
the sort of screenshots that would get to see on the magazines promoting the games or analyze them like you know the the local Nintendo power was called Club Nintendo which of course means Nintendo Club and the thing is they always had this like clear black and white pictures depicting the the whole game but the truth was uh, that's not how the games looked it, they were all in shades of green you know weird pale gray shades of green so that wasn't exactly enticing for me uh i i did get sort of duped into buying something called the game child which was uh, a portable lcd tiger electronics game well not tiger another bootleg company that had the same game mechanics you know like You move left to right and dodge or catch things. Um, but you would get the different, like, skins in, like, LCD cartridges. Or cartridges? Damn, I can't... I, I need to be told how to pronounce this. Well, anyway. Uh, so you get, like, basketball or space robots or stuff like that, but it's just the same game over and over again. But, you know, I I felt happy about that. I, I, might, I still have it. I have to look for it. Well, um, here's another thing. Uh, the real reason behind uh, this ugly screen was that, oddly enough, it did give uh, plenty of um, playtime from its battery lifespan. Unlike the Game Gear from Sega, which had, you know, like this beautiful color screen and stuff, and the games were awesome, but the thing was that it uh, it didn't last nothing. You, you couldn't play for long with that, because, of course, it sucked batteries more than an evil vampire. Uh, well, th there were sort of attempts to course correct on the Game Boy for, so for instance, all those accessories that like a magnifying glass for the screen and even a light so you could see what the fuck you were playing. Even a makeshift arcade style joystick to put on top of it. Uh, it only made it bigger and clunkier, so we were halfway into the Virtual Boy territory. Um, there's one thing that the Game Boy did have against all of the, well, cheap bootlegs around, which was the whole li licensing thing. I, I love the Mario games and the whole Maryland concept with Princess Daisy and power-ups that would never show again in any other Mario game, like, you know, the bunny ears and stuff. I, I love that. Uh, it had some great artwork as well, and even Wario was born there. I mean, We have plenty to thank for that. Uh, it also had... It was pretty much a must. It was the one thing that Game Boy had to do to win over the competency, um, the competition. You know, all this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that I did get to play on on a band that took us kids to school. So I got to enjoy it and during 20-minute rides, like five minutes at a time. Maryland, TMNT, uh, Mortal Kombat. Uh, of course, m many of those ports meant uh, a lot of downgrading. So if it was a, an original designed 
Game Boy game that was great, but if it was an original Mario game uh, or you know Game Boy game in general, that was great. But if it was like a port from something, it always meant a big downgrade. Like the sprites didn't allow for much size or colors or details, so playing Mortal Kombat was painful. But just to say, hey, I play Mortal Kombat, that's great. And also that did lend to uh, ports of those games, very bootleg ports of those games, into Famicom, family system, and, you know, cheap bootlegs. Uh, so that's how we got Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and Donkey Kong and other games for NES, which is, you know, interesting, and I love that. <laughs> Uh, I'm enjoying uh, many Game Boy games. Oddly enough, on an MP4 portable player I got that ha actually has a built-in emulator for, among other things, Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Uh, and that was a pleasant surprise. I never asked for that. It wasn't specified on the box, but, well, n that's, now that's the thing I'm dealing with. By the way, Game Boy Advance didn't have its own backlight until it was repurposed later. Again, uh, very hard to play on daylights or, you know, outside, which is weird. But uh, I do have some nice memories regarding other friends and playing and enjoying some games that I wouldn't have. And of course, lots of beautiful Mario Land artwork. So there's that. Uh, I guess those are my Game Boy memories. Steve Megatron Phillips here from the Geekcast Radio Network. I uh, some of my earliest memories of the Game Boy go back to the '90s. Uh, I didn't get the original Game Boy. Uh, what I did get was the Game Boy Pocket. I got the the Game Boy Pocket uh, mostly because of a game called Pokemon Red. My brother got the original Game Boy. We bought them used. Uh, funny enough, all of these things um, and. Uh, the one of the benefits of the the Game Boy Pocket as opposed to the original Game Boy was the fact that the original Game Boy was super clunky. But the Game Boy Pocket was literally the size to fit in your pocket, uh, much like the size of a standard cell phone today. And the screen was uh, much larger than the original Game Boy, and the color uh, wasn't that that green screened color. Uh, it was more of that gray kind of transition before they went to the Game Boy Color, which was a little bit thicker uh, with a smaller screen. I really enjoyed having the Game Boy. Uh, it, I, I think that it was one of the more successful uh, Nintendo properties that they owned over the years uh, from all the different iterations before it went to the, the DS level where I, I kind of lost interest. I, I did get a Game Boy Advance after the Game Boy Pocket, um, 
And I really like that because of the backward compatibility and the ability to play the newer games. So, like, I had Pokemon Red, uh, Mega Man Extreme, Mega Man Extreme 2. Uh, I had a uh, Mario Brothers game on the, the Game Boy. I forget there were some other Game Boy games I did have, uh, but I primarily played Pokemon Red and the Mega Man Extreme games on on the uh, the Game Boy and the, uh, the Color, uh, or the Advanced. And it was it was a lot of fun, and and I remember sneaking the thing into school and playing it in between uh, classes or uh, around assignments and playing it under the desk. And and you know those were the days before the cell phone and everything. So it was it was a lot of fun to have. I, I honestly, I, I a few years ago I went back to a, a resale uh, gaming store and bought a Game Boy again. Uh, just so I could play uh, a Pokemon game and play the Mega Man Extreme again on uh, a Game Boy Pocket. And it was much like I remembered it, and I, I eventually traded it back in again, but it, I, I, there's something to be said for holding an actual gaming console in your hand, and I think that's that's one of the great things that the Game Boy uh, provided over the years. So these are my thoughts on on my experience with the Game Boy. I really enjoyed it. I really loved it. Um, I liked all the different variations of it and all the little add-ons and, and remember having to trade Pokemon through like basically a, uh, old school USB cord. If, if you could consider it that, uh, between devices and then they had the, uh, the kind of NFC type transfer or whatever, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So these are my thoughts. So, uh, thanks Neil for this opportunity. And that's a wrap. I would like to thank Mike Blanchard, Mike Dodd, Pablo Prano, and Steve Phillips for contributing segments to this show. This has been Neil for The Gaming Hipster, and I will see you again next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.